What's going on, everyone? Welcome into Cheap Seats Chatter. I'm your host today, David Gillespie. Joining in on the podcast today is Alex Clark, and also we've got Ryan Splash Potts joining in uh, as well. I uh, hope you guys are doing well in your neck of the woods. What's going on uh, for you guys uh, individually? Things are going pretty good overall, I'd say. You know, we had the Field of Dreams game uh, yesterday. Again, all these episodes recorded one day in advance, and we'll be talking about that in just a minute, but... Man, that was a heck of a game. Yeah. But it's always fun just getting to see. I, I'll admit, I, I definitely cried at the uh, when everyone walked out of the corn. That that certainly was touching. I, I tell you what, um, I, you know, I'm gonna get into a, 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 a shocking revelation in a little bit about the uh, my experience with the movie. But uh, uh you know, what, what about you, Ryan? What's uh, what's been going on with you lately? You know, everything had been going well. The Braves had broken their streak of win-loss, 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 win-loss. Then Will Smith started blowing saves again. <laughs> and yesterday, Kyle Muller got lit up for six runs in like two and a third. And the Braves lost by ten and now are back behind the Mets. So I can't even troll my Mets fan, friends. <laughs> hey, but at least, you know, they're at least they're finally comfortably above 500. Three games above 500 right now. Still in the mix for that NL East. And we'll get into some uh, competitive division talk later on in the podcast uh, uh there's certainly one of the more competitive ones in the league but like you said alex before we get into that let's talk a little bit about uh the spectacle that we all got to witness on tv maybe some of you lucky fans even got to witness live in dyersville iowa uh in the field of dreams game what a spectacle i mean i'm gonna say it again what a spectacle that was that was unbelievable to see that everything played out perfectly that lived up to the hype that i think it was going for when they set this game up this is a game that took place in like i said dyersville iowa where the field of dreams movie was filmed or near that location rather because uh, it was actually not specifically on the same field. It was actually a different field that was adjacent to the actual field within the movie. But, uh, of course, everyone all knows the 1989 movie was starring Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones. Uh, it's an incredible, incredible uh, sight to behold. I mean, uh, this is a very unique looking, looking field. It's got rows upon rows of corn between the two outfields. Um, uh, and they had a, an incredible introduction with Costner coming out of the corn stocks like in the movie and, and with the players as well man that if that didn't i mean it was okay here's the thing it was simultaneously cool and kind of corny no pun intended uh uh because it was like you know it was it was so you know theatrical and you know it's a game where it's it's reality and it's but it was so cool and it, it, i'm not gonna lie it absolutely gave me goosebumps but i who i do have to uh uh, uh reveal the fact that i have sadly never seen Field of Dreams before. I know it's it's embarrassing. It's on my to watch list. I just have not put it in yet. Uh, but but it, it, my goodness, uh, uh, from what I've seen right now, I'm missing out on a ton. Uh, uh, just an incredibly, uh, very much valued movie uh, for for sports fans who love watching sports movies. Uh, a field apparently, uh, you know, they increased it. They had to cre- the reason why they didn't film on the particular Field of Dreams field uh, on, from the movie was because that it wasn't up to them. Will be dimension code. Uh, so this field uh, was more so aligned with their dimensions. This field also can hold about 8,000 people. So about 8,000 people were in attendance. Um, uh, and uh, and it was, again, it was in Iowa too, which was really interesting because there's no major league sports there. Uh, but uh, really uh, interesting to see how they are able to to market the game and, and have it uh, uh, be a legitimate option for a state that, again, has no major league team. 
um uh what did you guys make of this spectacle uh uh with with this with this game and how it played out first thing i need to say here is yes you are a bum for not watching field of dreams it is one of my <laughs> top 10 it is one of my top 10 favorite movies it is so good i miss it out man I, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. There's a quote that goes around a little bit. There are two kinds of people in this world. The people that cry watching Field of Dreams and liars. <laughs> and, look, okay, the game itself was incredible. I'm really glad they didn't play on the actual Field of Dreams because, like I said, it's basically at its dimensions. It's a slightly bigger Little League field. And so the final score by the seventh, not even the final score, by the seventh inning, the game would have been a score of 69 to 58. (laughs) Because we took a look at this game already, and the actual Field of Dreams game at this stadium, which is, again, it is much bigger. There were eight home runs that were hit. Not to mention, mention, again, the big home runs in the final inning, which we'll talk about later. But overall, this was amazing. Like Kevin Costner put it perfectly when he when he was out uh giving his address in the middle of the field that it was perfect. This was something that baseball needed has been wanting to do for a while and it's one of the things that, you know, COVID took away from the fans and from MLB because it was originally supposed to be in 2020. Yeah. But it got moved to 2021 mm-hmm. and it worked out amazingly well. I will say this, and I already said this: the the, the players walking out of the corn, that just I I I busted into tears. Yeah. I was so happy watching that because it was a scene. I honestly, you said it was corny, by the way, but boo. it was still cool. It was like simultaneously both, you know. No, and it was awesome. It was, it was incredible, and the way that they did, especially with wearing the old timey jerseys. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it was absolutely per- It was really well done. And one thing that people are not going to talk about, but I wish they would, is uh, if you notice, a lot of the players went up and shook the hand of Kevin Costner. Yeah, that's right. Which you would think that's, that's just, oh, you know, hey, cool, thank you for coming and doing all this. No, that's actually a bit of a throwback to the movie, where the players would go and shake hands with Costner and be like, hey, thank you for... Thank you for building this field. So it was a bit of an homage to the movie itself right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Which I really like that. Overall, this... I like that you use the word spectacle about 5,000 times. Kidding. <laughs> um, I like that you use it because it really was. This was something that is something you're not going to see very often. I wish they would show it more often. But this is something that people have been waiting for. Something that baseball really needed i think to really appeal to the diehard fans or just the fans that have that grew up watching this i mean field of dreams was released before i was even born it was released 30 years ago Mm -hmm. and it was just you just look at it now and it's a piece of americana like it is something that is a true classic and for baseball to bring it into 2021 and to have an actual game there it Kevin Costner said it best. It was perfect. What about you, Splash? What do you say? I think as much of a spectacle as it was, as much as I loved the aesthetic, the scoreboard, the jerseys for both teams, you know, the pictures of Giancarlo Stanton in the in the corn, this was one of the best games of the season. And you're talking two teams that could potentially make the playoffs that we'll get into later. And it truly came down to the ninth inning and heading in very late in the ninth inning, the Yankees had a 1% chance of winning the game by the end of the top of the ninth. 
They had almost a 90% chance of winning the game, thanks to a Giancarlo Stanton blast into the corn. And then, just minutes later, Tim Anderson launches a another home run, a 78% win probability swing from 22% to 100%. Jeez. What a game from start to finish. You know, the right. Abreu opens it with the homer. Yep. Um, Judge launches a three-run homer. You know, fun times were had by all except Liam Hendricks, but I guess he did. He does get a pitcher win at the end, so there's that. Um, just overall, I think if you wanted a baseball game, this is the kind of baseball game you want in a big spot. You know, we've seen games in other sports, and including baseball, that when you have this high-profile game, sometimes they don't live up to the expectations, whether it's a playoff game or the NFL London series or Mexico City or NBA games across or in London. Sometimes they don't live up to the hype. Sometimes the, the game is a blowout or just not fun to watch. This was one of the most fun baseball games to watch the entire season, and I'm really ecstatic that, you know, you got a superstar-driven Yankees team that's vying for a playoff spot. You have a superstar team um, in Chicago that's essentially locked up the AL Central. But this is this could be a preview of the ALCS looking forward, and it was great baseball. Yeah, uh, amen to that, honestly. This was just an absolute thrill to watch. Uh, um, you know, again, I don't know if we had clarified earlier, but uh, again, the Yankees and the White Sox playing in this particular game. Two, obviously, AL uh, uh, contender, playoff contenders moving forward. Um, they are apparently coming back next year uh, in terms of another Field of Dreams game being played. This one going to be played on August 22nd, 2022. Uh, is what I uh, uh, ended up reading. So very excited to see uh, the sequel Definitely. coming about uh, next year. Now, in terms of it becoming a spectacle, it's not a spectacle necessarily because of how the game played out. Because uh, as it was a great, while it was a great game, the whole value of this entire situation has been the aesthetic. Like you were saying, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Splash, the 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 the, uh, the environment that they were able to set up and that they were able to craft out to put this game. Uh, into play, you know, making it just like the set of Field of Dreams. So that really was, I mean, it, it just happened to be a bonus, frankly. It just happened to be kind of lucky that this game turned out to be as competitive as it was, where so many guys, like you were saying, uh, uh, got active. So many big-time moments from big-time players, like you said, with Jose Abreu starting things off. Judge went yard twice. Uh, Loy Jimenez, my goodness, is his is his impact been uh, felt by the White Sox as of lately? He has been that is one strong man. My that is one goodness. strong man. I did not expect him to come out firing on all cylinders, cylinders the way he is uh, the way he has over the last uh, you know few games since he's been coming back from injury. But he is taken off like a superstar, man. And this White Sox team could be dangerous as a result of that. Because I was a little concerned about the White Sox offensively. Uh, because they're not a great, they're, they're not, they haven't been as special of an offensive team compared to what they bring to, uh, uh, from the from their pitching staff. Uh, but Eloy Jimenez, man, if he continues to rake like that, and Jose Abreu can build off this game, where it, you know it was, it, it really invigorates, I think, a lot of people to perform in this kind of marketable event on primetime TV. Uh, so many people were watching on TV, I'm sure. Uh, uh, you know, this is, it just was an absolute incredible, incredible event of obviously Stanton homering for the two run shot off Liam Hendricks curveball to make it, you know, eight, seven Yanks, at the top nine, then Tim Anderson, who had already doubled and knocked in a run earlier, uh, uh, homers, uh, off of Zach Britton sinker in the bottom of the night to win it all. It just was, it was incredible. 
what kind of effect do you guys think this has on Major League Baseball for their future plans and for their future marketing for events like this? I think overall what this is going to be is that this is going to... I think this is really going to motivate Major League Baseball to do more events like this. Like, there's been a lot of talk about potentially doing a Sandlot game after after the, the famous movie The Sandlot. Yeah. And I'm fully for it, by the way, 100% for it. But um, I what I really love is that the MLB could have just made this, you know, a little cheesy thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, hey, look, Field of Dreams is in the background. Now let's play a game, yada, yada, yada. No, they went all out on this. They really did everything they could. Like, even the little details, like the scoreboard and the clock in yeah. right center field being hand-operated. Like, that that's was a awesome. big thing. They I didn't realize that. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, not just the scoreboard, but that clock. Every minute, the guy was pulling down the arm just a little bit. Wow. Like, that's insane. I love that. Plus, I, uh, this isn't about the all that. Uh, this isn't about what we we're talking about. But I really need to say this because I feel like this is amazing. One, uh, the, because of this game, the Yankees are now the only Major League Baseball team to lose in Ohio, is in Iowa. Excuse <laughs> me. So amazing that. But get this. So the movie is obviously about Shoeless Joe Jackson, right? Mm -hmm. Like Joe and all that. Get this. Tim Anderson and that home run that he hit to win the game. Um, that home run was the 15th walk-off home run from a White Sox player against the Yankees all-time. Wow. The very That's first crazy. one. Hold on. Oh, it gets better. The first was by Shoeless Joe Jackson oh on God. July 20th, 1919. That is insanely How coincidental. Perfect. Can you get <laughs> that the White Sox... Will, like win against the Yankees oh, on a walk-off home run where the first time that ever happened was Shoeless Joe, who the whole Jeez. aesthetic of this is built around. Oh, my God. The stars aligned in the universe last night, man. I'll tell you I, what. I, I'll, I'll, I'll say it once. I've said it twice. I'll say it again. As Kevin Costner said, it's perfect. Oh my God. What about you, uh, Splash? What do you think about this effect of these kind of games? And can they do something like with the Sandlot, which personally is my favorite baseball movie? I know I need to see Field of Dreams. I do know the line, if you build it, they will come. But that's the extent of like my knowledge of the movie. So I really and need to get into that. it's he will come, but it's he will come. Oh, he will come. come. Sorry, that's right. Yeah. Uh, what did you make of this marketability? Can they do other stuff uh, out there? Maybe it could be uh, other film movie set ideas it could be something completely different that's uh, a marketable uh, unique event uh, uh, for future um for future games uh, um from here on out uh, splash yeah for sure first uh i i think shoeless joe belongs in the hall of fame but that's a story for another time seriously facts. though he does <laughs> yeah. big facts amen <laughs> yeah uh so i think this is such a great experience both from the baseball aspect and the non-baseball aspect and if I'm correct, they're going to Williamsport to play like a essentially a little league. I like believe a, you're right. Okay, so I think that can be that's something that Major League Baseball can build on. So maybe every August they have a slate of these games. You have one of the Field of Dreams. You have one in Williamsport. Um, then you can go to the Sandlot. You can go to other movies. Uh, the the baseball movie that jumps to my head is uh, Angels in the Outfield, but I think that was just at the normal angel stadium i could be wrong um but even uh 
do, do they have college world series like mlb games because that would be interesting in I omaha don't i don't think so but they could i need to look that up like i think that would be exciting there so if you had like maybe three weeks out of august that was or four weeks out of august that was field of dreams Williamsport, Omaha, and then pick your favorite baseball movie, whether it's The Sandlot or um, a different movie. I think that would be great for baseball. It would be great to drum up some interest right now because baseball is the only thing on. You know, football's in preseason. It's the NBA Summer League. Hockey is not on. So if baseball wants a stranglehold on this July to August sports market, I think that's great for fans, and when you have really good baseball like we had last night, it's it's just a bonus, like uh, Alex said, that, you know, the aesthetic was there, and if baseball can put this much effort into a Field of Dreams game or a Little League game or an Omaha game, whatever it may be, I think that's better for the fans and for the players and for the product as a whole. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly eager to see what Rob Manfred has in store for this because he swung for the fences with this, and he had a home run, if you ask me. Um, uh, very interesting though. Uh, uh, I guess there's a tie with the, the, this game, uh, with the father of Costner's character being a fan of both the Yankees and White Sox. Again, I don't know too much about the movie, sadly. Uh, but I, I guess there was a tie with that, which of course, obviously we saw the Yankees and White Sox, uh, compete. Now, I guess the, the, the Cardinals were sp- uh, initially supposed to be a part of this game, but then, uh, I, or, or, or I'm sorry, they were, uh, they were actually uh, going to end up being one of the teams in this. They went back and forth between the Yankees and the Cardinals in terms of who's going to represent. But ultimately, the Yankees and the White Sox are going to uh, ultimately represented for this game. So, uh, but really cool, really cool. Uh, they also had a corn maze look like the MLB logo, and I guess a couple of players got lost in it. Um, but <laughs> so that's kind of funny. That was funny. Yeah, um, Zach Britton getting lost in the corn is too amazing. <laughs> well, here's the thing: they probably sent him out to the corn maze after uh, after his finish in the uh, in last night's game. No, I'm kidding. No, that's that's too cold, man. That was that was rough for him to have to go out on that note, uh, uh, considering the Yankees and what they were able to do in the previous uh, top half of the inning. Uh, but just yeah, an absolute spectacle. The Yankees, of course, coming out nine to eight to win the game. And uh, I got an interesting take about this game later on when we get into uh, some AL East contending talk. But before we get into the AL East, I want to get into another division that has a lot of contending talk. That being the NL West. Uh, it's getting interesting with this NL West. I'll, I'll say right now. I mean, the Dodgers right now are five games back. The Giants are in a comfortable lead, but but they're still. The Dodgers still nipping at their heels. Just five games back, and of course you got the Padres nine games back, who are most likely going to uh, uh, also claim a uh, also claim a, a playoff spot uh, when it's all said and done. Um, you know, th- this should be an interesting division. Uh, uh, you know, moving forward, how comfortable do you guys feel about the Giants taking that division control over the Dodgers right now, and and furthermore, even over the Padres? Well. I'll say this at the very least with it. When we started this season, I can say about a grand total of nobody said that the Giants were going to be leading this division. And what everyone was talking about with this division, it was between the Dodgers and the Padres. They were the two superpowers within that division. And then the Giants just said, now we're going to be that yeah. <laughs> and decided oh just to God. take the whole mantle there. So it's really become interesting. And I love that because right now no one saw the giants doing this. Sorry, Rockies and Diamondbacks. You guys just kind of keep staying down there. Um, <laughs> but for the giants, it's really cool to see that it amidst these two superpower teams, they have found a way to be amazing. 
they have found a way to be a team that right now is at the uh, about mid-August right now, looking like a close to lock for the NL West title. And that's really cool to see, and that brings a lot of intrigue because that means that the Dodgers and Padres are competing for wild card spots or trying to still get the uh, still trying to get the division lead. Where right now the Dodgers are re realistically the main team within striking distance at only five games back, whereas the Padres are nine games back. But again, just to kind of show how big that really is, or how big that isn't, I should say. Even though San Diego is still. Uh, nine games back of the Giants. Even with all that, the Dodgers and the Padres are still the top two contenders for the NL wild card. So it's looking very realistic mm -hmm. on this one that the uh, overall uh, wild, uh, National League side of the playoffs are going to include three teams from the NL West, which I find amazing considering that. <laughs> the two that people thought were going to compete for the division are wild card holders. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Jeff Passan said it best that most of us are assuming that the Dodgers are just better than the Giants, right? And that over the course of a full season, the Dodgers are going to catch the Giants and the Padres are going to catch the Giants and all this. And I think he he put it best saying that's just disrespectful to the Giants that. You know, for, for right now, the Giants have been the best team in baseball. There's a reason they are, you know, what, four games up on everybody, not just the teams in the National League. They're four, four and a half games up on everyone in Major League Baseball. They've been that good. The pitching has been awesome. The The hitting has been awesome. Brandon Crawford has had a resurrection of a season. Um, Chris Bryant has come in and started hitting for them. Buster Posey is having a year that's probably better than his MVP season, except he hasn't played yeah. enough games to, you know, qualify for, I uh, have the, uh, I don't want to say qualify for the MVP, but be in serious MVP contention. But this is a phenomenal Giants team. And I, I remember that I thought it was a little bit of a hot take that I thought they were going to finish third in the division. And I'm like, yeah, I, th I think they can finish third. And they're going to win the darn thing, and they might win it by, you know, they could win it by seven, eight games. They could flirt with 100 wins. Like, that. that is the point that we're having now, that the Giants could win 102 games, 104 games. Something ridiculous that we thought heading into the season, yeah, maybe the Dodgers can hit 100. You know, maybe the Astros can hit 100. No, it's going to be the San Francisco Giants of all teams. So I'm really excited to see them moving forward. Now, would I take the Dodgers in a playoff series? Yes. Would I take the Padres in a playoff series? Yes. But that's not to dis distract from how good the Giants have been this season. They're 33 games over 500 right now. That's insane. Yeah, they're that's the amazing. Best team in, in all of baseball, and they've shown no signs of slowing down as of lately. I, I want to give the Giants their their just due because they they've been out again they've been outstanding their pitching has been tremendous uh, namely with with uh, you know uh, uh, Kevin Gaussman and Anthony DiSclefani and Logan Webb has been really good 1.72 ERA and only a 187 average allowed over the last nine starts uh, really good changeup sinker slider combo as of lately for him. Uh, you know, Anthony DiScofani, he's been dealing with some injury concerns, so hopefully he'll be able to get healthy. But I think the reason why I still feel comfortable about the, the about the Dodgers is considering the fact that they made the decisions they made when the MLB trade deadline came about. If they didn't make those decisions, I think you could make a very, very solid argument for this Giants team uh, potentially being 
you know, potentially being even better than that uh, the Dodgers team prior to the trade deadline. Honestly, I think you can make a decent argument. I'm not saying I necessarily for sure buy into it, but if you chose the Giants, it's kind of a it, it, you could make it, uh, uh, an argument that it's an either or uh, uh, situation between those two. But because of the trade deadline. And because the Dodgers haven't been healthy as of lately, they're missing, you know, some guys have been out on the IL, uh, you know, Clayton Kershaw is going to be out for a, a decent amount of time, but they expect him to be back before the season. Danny Duffy, who hasn't really gotten going as of lately since he joined the Dodgers from the Royals, he's on the IL, hopefully he'll get back before the season's done. Uh, they feel optimistic, I think, about both those guys. At the very least with Kershaw, it sounds like they've got a definitive timeline as to when he can come up. Mookie Betts as well. Uh, so I think those are affecting this team as for why they aren't leading the division. Uh, the Padres, though, man, I feel very concerned about uh, their chances to vie for the World Series, to be honest, because of the Fernando Tatis Jr. situation. I know, Pots, you wanted to uh, splash. You, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Tatis Jr. and, and the, the prospect of him potentially moving to the outfield. Uh, you know, considering he had that, uh, uh, you know, he's had numerous bouts with injuries this year, do you think that's the right call for Tatis Jr.? I know he's had some uh, some core injuries and stuff of that nature. Can they can they benefit from that? Um. So here, the f first situation: if you want to move him to the outfield, obviously you want to move him to center because that's the most valuable defensive spot. And we've seen in the past that moving an infielder to the outfield can reduce the likelihood of injuries. I read a stat yesterday, and if if Tatis played all the 162 games at shortstop and 162 games in center field. He's expected to get about 100 fewer balls, something like that. It's over the course of a game, not going to matter much, but over the course of a season, it's a, uh, 100 fewer times that he has to dive, right? And we've even seen this, the Dodgers. They moved Cody Ballinger from first to center field. He won He won the MVP that season. But the issue that the Dodgers, I'm sorry, the issue that the Padres have they have a guy in center, Trent Grisham, who's one of the best defensive players in baseball. He is, yeah. Are you are you wanting to tell me that you're going to move Tatis, who's never played a lick of center field in probably his life? You want to move mm -hmm. him to center field and displace one of the best defensive players in baseball? Like I I think that's personally ridiculous. And then if you slide him to one of the corner outfield spots, he's never played those, and those are incredibly like just not valuable at this point. And you're also going to have to displace Tommy Pham or Will Myers, who have been hot and cold throughout this season. I think the right decision for San Diego would be to get Eric Hosmer out of the lineup and play Jake Cronenworth at first base. And then you have Machado at third base, um, Tatis normal spot at short, Frazier at second base, Cronenworth at first. But I, the Padres have reportedly had conversations with Tatis wanting him to play center but you're move you're just screwing up your entire I th at that point you're I think you're screwing up your entire lineup it would be like if a left tackle in football went down and then you move the right tackle over to left tackle well you got worse at left tackle and you got worse at right tackle and you broke up the chemistry of that offensive line baseball doesn't have quite the same chemistry I would say but if you're moving Trent Grisham from center field to right field, that is totally diminishing the value that Grisham brings in the outfield. And you're just kind of hoping that Tatis can be a competent defensive center fielder, which we haven't seen yet. We've seen his athletic traits. He's one of the fastest players in baseball. You know, he's a generally competent defensive shortstop. And now that he's cleaned up his throws, he's a, a probably an average defensive shortstop. He gets to a lot of balls that... 
in the outfield that he doesn't have to make such pinpoint throws every single every single at bat. Um, there could be some value there. But again, you're replacing a guy that deservedly won the Gold Glove last season and has is like 93rd percentile and outs above average as a center fielder, which is insane. That's the same. That is elite tier defensive center field. And then if you move him to le- if you move Tatis to left or right, you're just asking to be screwed over because he's not bringing as much value as you might want from your team. So, to me, the option, the best option is Hosmer to the bench, Cronenworth the first, then second, third, short, same, left, center, right, same. Hosmer can be a valuable bat off the bench, um, or it can be a DH if you inevitably make the World Series. I'll tell you what the the other option could be. Uh, how about we get that universal DH rule implemented ASAP? Honestly, please. <laughs> honestly, this I I really feel bad for the Padres and and how they've had to deal with uh you know uh, uh Fernando Tatis's misfortune of of being injured. It's it's really unfortunate because this guy plays so damn hard every time. I know he hasn't been, and you brought up so many great points that I very much echo. Uh, with Trent Grisham being an outstanding center fielder. Uh, Tatis Jr. has not been a special fielder. He's more so been an MVP candidate as, uh, uh, you know, be- because of what he's done at the plate. He's been an outstanding hitter, obviously, hitting for power, hitting for average, done about just everything right, stealing bases. But as a fielder, he, he can be sometimes a liability. Some- I'm not saying he's a bad fielder. He has the capability to be a gold glover. He certainly has that athleticism. But, uh, you know, he's-, he's made a lot of costly errors this year, I think, that... Uh, uh, really make me question as to whether or not he could handle that. But at the same time, like you said, with that injury situation, can he hold it down at shortstop when he returns from injury, which sounds like it could be in the near future? Uh, um, you know, uh, and can he hold it down comfortably without exacerbating that rehabilitation uh, or that uh, that previous injury uh, situation that he had? So it, it's going to be an interesting situation to see how that plays out. I think the hold it down... Uh, while he gets healthy in terms of still being, you know, uh, a a, um, uh, a dangerous enough team, you know, with the, with their pitching, obviously with Musgrove having the year that he's had, with you Darvish, uh, their bullpen's been outstanding with Mark Melanson and Austin Adams, Tim Hill, and others. Um, uh, you know, Machado's been hitting really well as of lately over the last 24 games, six home runs with a, a 3.37 average, really been crushing fastballs and breaking balls in the month of uh, in, in this last month of July. Uh, and then now, with the same with off-speed pitches. So he's had a, a, a solid offensive campaign in 2021. But I, I still feel comfortable with the Dodgers uh, once they get those guys healthy. Because uh, even when those when those guys aren't healthy, they're still a bona fide NL contender. Um, you know, it, that's even without Kershaw and Danny Duffy and, and, and Mookie Betts being out. It, it, they're still that dangerous. Because everywhere you look on that team, there's an all-star practically or an all-star caliber player. That has a potential to be an all-star in their career when it's all said and done. If they haven't already established that right uh, uh, already, so uh, you know I like the Giants with what they've been able to do, but I think offensively I don't trust them as much as I do with the Dodgers. Um, um, and if the Padres can get uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. healthy, I think that also can come into play of why the Giants could potentially see an earlier departure than what their record may indicate. Uh, it'll certainly be interesting uh, to see how this plays out. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say, Alex, uh, about this division and how it could play out? Yeah, so especially when, I'll talk about this when it comes to Tatis. I think that if you try to move Tatis to the center field, yes, you are getting rid of the potential injury bug that goes on with Tatis, and even that's only a potential. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I've seen a lot of injuries in the outfield, and just from freak accidents that go on. I mean, look at Griffey, look at yeah. Michael Saunders, even if you want to go a little more recency, like. 
I said a little more recency, and that was still like what ten years ago. <laughs> but um, but no, like you're you're gonna have your injury risk injury risk no matter what you do. So what I think you do here is you don't is like you don't fix what's not fully broken. All right, you have an amazing outfield, some really good players. Trent Grisham, one of the best defensive center fielders out there. Why would you move him out of there? Like, you are losing value by moving him out of that spot. You have Fernando Tatis, who is a gold glover at shortstop as well, who is an amazing defensive player as well as offensive player. You moving him out of that shortstop role also decreases your value. So right now, if you try to mess up everything that you've got going on with this, I think that's a problem. I like what Splash was saying of trying to, you know, let, let's let Hosmer sit because he is more, I see him more as a platoon player. Put Cronenworth at first, Frazier at second base, and let everything else stay the same way. That's strong. I also fully agree with you, David, saying that can we please just have the universal DH already? Because it is a dumb thing that it wasn't already a thing, especially after the 2020 season where we're at the MLB proved that it worked. So, I think overall that when it comes to the NL West as a whole, I do think the Giants will have this. They are doing something that is truly special. They are a good team, a very, 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 very good team that is being built off of resurgences. The resurgence now of Buster Posey. Kevin Gaussman, their best pitcher, remember, he's a resurgent player as well, as he's been, he was a bit of a journeyman even for a little bit. Then you've got Brandon Crawford's resurging his career. Chris yeah. Bryant now is trying to rebuild his name now that he's no longer with the Cubs. You've got all these players that all have that chip on their shoulder. And I gotta tell you, there is nothing more dangerous than a player that has been at the bottom and has nothing to lose. Yeah. They are a team that really should be feared going to this playoffs. I do think that they don't stack up well against the rest of the NL West um, in, a, is it in a playoff series. But you know what? I, at this point right now, I think we all need to be learning not to doubt these Giants. Yeah, if if, this, if if Chris Bryant was playing like he was in 2016 when he won the NL MVP, I'd feel a lot more confident in the Giants' uh, chances to win the World Series. But I just think, you know, I like the way Crawford has been playing. He's actually, you know, he's hitting 295 on the year. He's hit 411 over the last 24 games in particular. Uh, so they're, they're getting a lot of offense production. Obviously, Posey, too, as well. Uh, but, yeah, I just think with the, the, the offensive firepower with the Dodgers and their pitching, uh, it's just maybe too uh, insurmountable, uh, too much to, uh, to to surmount ultimately. And then with the Padres too, not to mention they've got several Giants and Dodgers series coming up with three series mm-hmm. each from each team. And then they've got Houston as well uh, remaining on their schedule in terms of their playoff contenders that they've got to face. So they've got a lot on their plate. And this could also be, you know, several of these series could be without. Uh, a few of these series could be without Tatis Jr. So how are they going to keep themselves afloat? It's going to be really interesting right now. Um, I, I'm, I'm eager to see how this plays out. Uh, but yeah, you've got three, nonetheless, three contenders, uh, to say the least, uh, coming from that NL West. Now, let's go to the AL West, where the Astros are currently leading, surprisingly, by only a game and a half over the Athletics. Um you got the Athletics as well, uh, uh, likely going to, uh, or right now, uh, currently in uh, uh, holding a seat within the wild card spot. Um, uh, so they, they've been very, very exceptional this year, uh, especially with what they've got uh, in their pitching uh, rotation. Uh, and, of course, uh, Matt uh, Olson has just been absolutely raking this year. Um, uh, how do we feel about the Astros and their control of this division right now moving forward? 
I think you first have to start with this wonderful lineup that they have constructed. Even though they traded Miles Straw to Cleveland, you know, you're rocking with a Guriel, who's granted on the IL right now. Altuve's had a phenomenal year. Correa's had a phenomenal year. When Bregman comes back, he he had been having a solid season. Michael Brantley is batting three thirty two, which in the modern MLB is ridiculous. Uh, Kyle Tucker is having another strong season. And Jordan Alvarez is hitting bombs left and right. Chaz McCormick has been productive um, in place of Straw. And this is a loaded Astros lineup. You bring in uh, Kendall Graveman to that bullpen. Ryan Presley is back. So you're going to have... like Your lineup is set. The back end of, back end of your bullpen is set. And your your rotation is Granky, McCullers, Garcia, Valdez. Like that that's gonna work. I I know it's only a game and a half separating Houston and Oakland, but I think that can be that could easily be ten in two weeks or maybe not two weeks. But when if we do a wrap up show, I could very well see a a season wrap up show. That is, I could very well see. Oh, the Astros win a hundred games. The A's are wallowing in second place with. I don't know, 89 wins, something like that. This is a loaded Astros, you know, hitting core. The pitching core has its ups and downs. Granke hasn't been amazing. He's been good. McCullers has been very good. Garcia and Valdez, of course, have been awesome as well. But, you know, with bringing Bregman back in a couple weeks, bringing Gurriel back soon, it's hard to get these guys out. I think there was one month that the team as a whole had a 400 on base percentage. You're not getting them out, yeah. and when you when you're making good pitches, they're going to take all of your ball fours and walk over to first base. And then two minutes later, Jordan Alvarez is going to send everybody home because he hits another 450 foot home run. <laughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> that's what that's what he do. Yeah, it, you know, it should be really interesting to see how this uh, 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 see what the athletics can do, considering how close the margin is of uh, a distance between them and the Astros. I think the Astros are absolutely set, if you ask me. Yeah, they're, they're still waiting on Jose uh, Urquidy to come back from the IL and Alex Bregman, like you said earlier. Yuli Gurriel should be back soon uh, as well. Um, you know, he's dealt with a little bit of a. Uh, an injury situation too. Um, but I, I think they're very much in control. They're just so talented. They're so versatile. They just got Graveman to bolster that bullpen that really only had Ryan Presley. That was the real standout guy uh, within that particular unit. I, I still feel very, very comfortable in them ultimately coming away with the division. They'll probably start to widen the gap uh, between them and the athletics in this upcoming, uh, 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 you know, this upcoming stretch of the season. The athletes actually have a tough stretch. With the Giants, the Mariners, the Yanks, and later on the Blue Jays, White Sox, multiple M series and multiple Astro series. So they have a very tough schedule coming up. Very, very tough. I know their their rotation's been outstanding with Chris Bassett and Sean Manaya. Uh, Manaya, uh, he's been, they've both been really good. Uh, their their uh, their uh, bullpen too with Lou Trevino having a really good year as their closer. Uh, Sergio Romo too, former Giant. Speaking of the Giants, as we've been talking a lot about them and maybe getting back to their uh, previous glory days when they won three World Series titles, Sergio Romo was a big part of that. Um, so they really uh, deep, deep pitching from the from the Athletics, but their offense does concern me a little bit. I, I did like that they got Cattell Marte, who's a pretty good fielder and can and, and can do a good Starling job. Starling Marte. Oh, I'm sorry, not Cattell Marte. Yeah, Starling Marte. Excuse me. Uh, uh, you know, uh, to, to be able to get him from Miami. 
but um, uh, and uh, by the way, I was really surprised. Speaking of Cattell Marte, that he wasn't moved at the deadline, but um, uh, considering where the state of the Diamondbacks are. But anyways, I digress. Uh, with Starling Marte joining the Athletics, I thought that was nice to add his defense and add his contact as well. Uh, but really, Matt Olson has been the the big driving force in that offense, and there hasn't been just a ton. To note offensively from the athletics outside of him, uh, and and you know maybe what they can get with uh, uh, with Marte. I was actually hoping they could maybe swing for the fences to get uh, uh, Nelson Cruz by the trade deadline to get some more power out of that lineup. But uh, you know obviously the, the the Rays beat them to the punch, and and who knows if that was even on the their radar considering how uh, conservative they generally are in their uh, uh, their uh, uh, payroll. Um, but yeah, I just I'm a little concerned about that. And then you got the Mariners who are eight games back, and I'm sorry to do this to you, Alex. I'm a little concerned it's a little too far being eight games back. I'm not saying that they can't do it. It's just I I feel a little I, – I did like that they were able to, to uh, you know, uh, um, get their, their um, bullpen back, um, you know, with, with their acquisition out of, out of the race, you know, uh, and, and, and being able to get someone uh, um, to help out their bullpen when they lost Kendall Graveman. But I just think offensively they're a little bit concerning – um, you know, I know Ty France has been hitting pretty well over the last few games, and Kyle Seeger has been just scorching uh, home runs over the last like 30 games. He's had 10 over the last 26 games, but I, I just their offense is they, they can be somewhat stagnant sometimes, so much somewhat average at best. Um, it, it really concerns me in their bullpen. You know, while they've been able to help it out, they've also haven't been the clutches as of lately. They lost a close game to the Rangers on August 10th. Uh, and July 31st when they allowed uh, you know two runs in the bottom of the 10th and also allowed three the following night after that on August 1st against the Rangers um, you know losing to the Yankees as well on August 5th uh, late in games and you know they're being six and eight over the last 14 in general I'm a little concerned about them moving forward I'd love to see them you know get going especially as a fellow Seattle native but I, I just don't know if they can they can uh, narrow the gap and narrow the deficit to, to get themselves uh, into a, a playoff spot. What do you think, Alex? All right. So I'll agree with you on one thing. They are not winning the division. Seattle is not going to win this division. <laughs> I, I, nothing would make my heart happier, but they're not doing it. I wish they would, but eight games back with two teams that really are that strong in the A's and the Astros, they're not with the division. Do I think they're out of the wild card hunt, though? Absolutely not. I think they still have a chance at that. But here's what I want to say on this. The Astros are a very good team, and they're a team that really is, if you take a look at them all the way through, they are one of the most fundamentally sound baseball teams in all of baseball. But here's the thing. We have seen... One thing we have seen here from this season, especially when it comes to surprises, is that you cannot predict anything. The A's are a good team, but I did not think they had a chance when it came to the Astros, and yet here we are where they're half a game behind them. We have seen the Giants, who did not have a chance at the NL West at the beginning of the season, now are the best team in baseball. I'm not counting out the A's yet. And we have seen how they have been able to fight to try and get back into contention with everything. Because there was a time where everyone said, oh, they're just done. You mean the Mariners, They had right? a good team. No, I'm talking about the A's right now. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about the Mariners. Okay. No, no, no. I switched to the A's already. Okay. But there was a time with the A's that they said, I'm not sure about this. Can they take that division? We were saying that the Astros had the biggest stranglehold of nearly any team in baseball. 
Now, of course, that belongs to the Chicago White Sox. But we said this, and the A's kept fighting. They just keep on fighting. And they have been able to make this, so now, really, either of those teams can win this division. And I think whichever team does not win of that will then get the first wildcard spot. And then you go into everything that goes on with the other wildcard spots. We'll talk about that later. I think overall the Astros are probably my pick to win the AL West. But there's a lot more that meets the eye on this one. To where just looking at the raw data doesn't really say what's going on here. Because you take a look at on paper, the Astros are a god squad. Like, they really are an insanely strong team. But you look at the A's, and the A's have this spunk to them. They have this chip on their shoulder that is able to go and just let them fight. They are the scrappy dog at the table that is fighting to get that last piece of meat. And they're doing a dang good job of it. They've had a lot of people that have really showed out for them this year. And it's showing in spades. Now, Astros, I still think, are going to win it. But I'm not counting out the A's yet. And Seattle are still fighting. We've seen that even with the loss of Kendall Graven, they still got Diego Castillo. And Joe Smith, who has been surprisingly good with Seattle. I haven't seen him have any big botches as of late. And uh, on top of it as well, Abraham Toro has done amazing wonders for Seattle. Where I didn't know about this, and if you really look at it, it makes sense. Abraham Toro has reached base in every single game that wow. he has played with the Seattle Mariners. Incredible. All 18 games. This kid is doing a great work, and there's a lot of talk that the only reason why he wasn't playing with the Astros is because the Astros are stacked at every infield position. That's a good point. And so, did Seattle get a hidden gem in Toro? I'm, it's way too early to say. But you know what? I'm not counting out Seattle getting a wild card yet. This is normally the time of the season where I'm saying, okay, let's get ready for Seattle Seahawk football. But no, Seattle is making it interesting. And they're doing some really good work when it comes to the AL West. This is going to be a very interesting division because it's a tale of two stories. One, who is going to win the division between the A's and the Astros? A juggernaut team versus... Uh, this is a true David and Goliath type story here. The scrappy underdog versus the juggernauts. But then the second story is can Seattle break their drought? They're on pace to where they're going to be close but not quite get there. Can they find that motivation? Can they find that momentum to try and turn that into a true playoff berth? And the first time that Seattle makes the playoffs since 20 years ago. Yeah, it's it'll be, you know, I, I, I'm i not going to say that they're not going to fight because the Mariners are an absolute, you know, you talk about scrappiness. Mariners team have been scrapping all year long. And you talk about Abraham Toro and, and what he's been able to do uh, since he's been in Seattle. I mean, through 15 games, hitting 364 with three home runs, 444 on base percentage. That is damn good, to say the least. And slugging 618 to boot. Uh, so really, his, his presence has been felt thus far uh, in Seattle. But I, I think the offense as a whole really needs to collectively get going because they got some tough t uh, competition coming up, and it's some tough opposing offenses that they're going to have to keep up with uh, coming mm -hmm. up with Toronto. They got a three Houston series before the season ends, three athletic series, uh, even though they're not as strong of an offensive team. Uh, still, nonetheless, a, 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 a tough team to contend with 
uh, to say the least. And then they've also got a Boston series. So a lot of great offensive uh, uh, production that they're going up against uh, um, from here on out. I, I you know, I, I like you say Kikuchi, but I, I don't trust the rest of the rotation to kind of keep those teams' uh, 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 offensive production um, mitigated to a, a lower level than, than the norm. Uh, so it's really going to come down to this offense, if you ask me. And if they can get going, maybe they can make it interesting. But uh, uh, we'll have to see when it when it's all said and done. Um, I will say, if you're talking about the rotation, Marco Gonzalez threw a complete game yesterday. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I, I, I like Marco Gonzalez, but he he can be kind of inconsistent sometimes. I I I, 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 I uh, yes, he can be. I just wanted to say that because I'm like, let's put. I want to put that little notch out there just to make sure that's in the universe, <laughs> real quick. No worries, no worries. Hopefully they get going, you know, for their sake uh, uh, moving forward. But, but uh, let's move on to uh, the East Divisions. We're talking about the West Divisions. Now we're going to talk about the East Divisions. The NL East right now lead by half a game over the Mets and a full game over the Braves for the Divisional Crown. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't know how long this is going to last with the Bra uh, uh, considering what the Braves have done to where uh, uh, they will win the NL East because of the acquisitions the Braves were able to uh, able to make uh, um, by the trade deadline. Plus, they're getting Travis Darno back and Wascari Noah soon. Uh, what do you guys make of this division playing out? It's very, very close. This is arguably, I'd say, the AL East probably going to be the closest division in all of baseball. I'm going to say with this one that this is one of the most interesting to look at just because you have three teams that are all competing for the lead. But one thing I want to make sure is just kind of out there as well. The leading team in this division is only five games above 500. Remember, interesting does not always mean strong. Interesting means storylines. Yeah. And with this team, the Phillies, I like what they're doing. I, I, I still don't know. Although, honestly, my bet is still for the Mets to take this division. The Mets, I think they just have that kind of firepower that can make it work. I just don't want them to turn back into the lull Mets of old. And for the Braves overall, I look, if they can make the playoffs, if they can win this division, that is going to be one of the storybook showings of this season. Where you take a look at they lost for the season, their guy, their main guy, and they have just been so snake bitten this year. I think that overall, the Braves would be fun to see them win the division. I think the Mets will win the division, and I think the Phillies are just going to fall just short. What about you, Splash? Yeah, as the resident Braves fan, I get in this argument nearly on a daily basis. So when I look at the division, I see three main facets, right? The lineup, the rotation, the bullpen. Mm -hmm. I think the lineup is interchangeable. The Mets, when fully healthy and when Francisco Lindor is, you know, mid-2010s uh, mid, mid Francisco Lindor, the Mets probably have the best lineup. But Francisco Lindor is not healthy, and Francisco Lindor has been a below-average hitter so far with the Mets. So I do think the Braves have a slight, the slightest of edges over the Phillies, while the Phillies do have perhaps the best hitter of any team at the moment, Bryce Harper. You have the the Braves have three strong outfielders now, all recent additions in Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler. You throw in whatever you can get from Abraham Almonte. You throw in whatever you can get from Guillermo Heredia, who had a two-run homer the other day. And then you have a strong infield with Freeman, Albies, Swanson, Riley, who have all been very good this season. All of them have 20 home runs. 
and all of them are batting at least 250, so none of them are, you know, dragging everything down. You bring back Travis Darno, who for his career, even if you throw out 2020, has been a pretty average hitter. If he returns to that league average, you know, 98 OPS plus, 100 OPS plus mark, you're looking at a lineup with nine, or sorry, with eight at least average hitters, which is more than what the Phillies can say with their middle infield struggles and more than the Mets can say with their injury issues and their struggles across the field. I would take the Braves by a hair there. Then the rotation, when DeGrom is healthy, great, but he hasn't been healthy. Stroman's been slipping a little bit since the All-Star break. Taiwan Walker's been slipping a little bit since the All-Star break. You look at the Phillies, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, that's an awesome one-two punch. I do think the Braves might have the benefit of having more competent arms they charlie morton's been has been great this season but beyond morton i don't want to say there's another star there but i think you have competent innings out of freed and smiley and anderson when he comes back and you know is coming back soon and kyle muller so there's enough to me there's enough competent innings that you don't have to have a bullpen day like the phillies had a bullpen have had like two bullpen days in what seems like the last five days and the, the Braves don't have to do that, and they don't have to burn through their bullpen because they don't have the lack of pitching. And then you look at the back end of the bullpen. Will Smith had been pretty reliable in safe situations. He has blown two of his last three attempts. But, hey, you have Richard Rodriguez sitting there, and I trust Richard Rodriguez more than anyone of the Phillies and anyone of the Mets. You have Edwin Diaz, who's been all over the place. You could call him Ed Luz. Diaz, <laughs> then strange, the yeah. Phillies have a guy in their bullpen known as Heartbreak Hector. I, I don't think I need to say more. So <laughs> I think the Braves are marginally better at all three things that I think are important. Could that matter in the end? Maybe, maybe not. But I think the Braves, if if you were starting from day one right now, I would have the Braves as the favorite. Um, but of course, there's you know 50 games left in the season, so may or may not fall fall that way. Either way. I'm just happy that the Braves are above 500. Poor, poor Hector Neris. <laughs> Damn, that, that was cool. Uh, uh, Heartbreak Hector is a great name. I'm sorry, it's so bad. Yes, there's horrible connotations. <laughs> it is good, but that's oh, a sto- that's a storybook name right there. Dang, or is it Heart Attack Hector? I think it might be Heart Attack Hector because he like when he's good, you know, they win games and it's like a one run win, but he loses game and it's like a heartbreak. But I think Phillies fans have heart attacks whenever he comes in, regardless. I mean, here's the thing, though. That's the same kind of thing as the Fernando Rodney experience, though. I mean, let's be honest here. Yeah, that's a good point. point. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, uh, the Phillies, man, I I, I have a lot of question marks about them due to their offensive lapses. And Aaron Nola, I know you talked about him as being a one-two punch. I liked Aaron Nola in previous years, but this year I, I can't say he's played spectacular. I feel a little more comfortable with uh, obviously Zach Wheeler has been one of the absolute best pitchers in all of baseball. Uh, I think he's a Cy Young candidate when it's all said and done, and and they just recently added Kyle Gibson too. I I, I feel more comfortable in those two guys. If Nola were to step up, I'd say this could make things potentially interesting in terms of their control of the division. But considering that he struggled. And considering that they've had some offensive lapses, we're really... Look, 
Gene Skrill played very solid as a contact hitter this year. Bryce Harper's actually played like an MVP can. I can't even believe I'm saying this again because it's been a, a couple years since we've said this really. But Bryce Harper's an MVP candidate right now. He's been outstanding this year. Uh, you know, but you know, as in, in terms of what he's been able to do at the plate as a power hitter and just getting on base, everything about his approach at the plate has been outstanding. I have to tip my hat to him. I believe he's just sh uh, just shy of uh, uh, hitting a 300 average. Yeah, he's got 298 average right now. 21 plus home runs through 94 games. Very solid year from the plate out of him this year, but you know, and, and they got they got some decent power with Hoskins. Reese Hoskins has hit pretty well uh, in terms of hitting the long bomb, long bomb as of lately. Andrew McCutcheon too, seven home runs in his last twenty two games. I'm really happy to see him exceed over that twenty home run mark. And who knows, maybe he could get thirty when it's all said and done this season. That'll be nice considering the struggles he's had over the last few years and in, in, in trying to reclaim that uh, all-star caliber potential like he was uh, consistently executing um, uh, during his days in Pittsburgh. I, I just don't trust this team long-term. They've also got Cincy coming up. They got San Diego, Tampa Bay, later on Milwaukee, the Mets, and Atlanta. So a lot of tough division competition, a lot of tough contending uh, competition from other divisions as well. I, I'm a little concerned about them. I really like the Braves. I, you know, I'm going to be honest, prior to the trade deadline, I was willing to start, I, you know, I never really got around to it because I got caught up with other stuff, but I wanted to write an article about, let's just call it quits on the year. You know, when Ronald Acuna Jr. was down, I thought this team was down and out for good for the remainder of the season. I thought there's no way in hell will they vie for a playoff spot even because this it just was too detrimental of a blow. They've been bitten by the injury bug. The bullpen's been a liability. The rotation's been inconsistent. Um, even the offense at that point, we hadn't quite seen the level of production uh, uh, from uh, Freddie Freeman to where he is now because guess what, baby? He's back. This dude has been absolutely sensational. He's hit 354 and slugged over 550 with 11 home runs of the last 56 games. Absolutely crushing breaking balls over the last two months, slugging 560 on those pitches in July. Then 1667 in August thus far. I know we're only halfway through the month, but still. Uh, uh, he's just been absolutely sensational as of lately. Austin Riley, too. You were talking about that, I believe, on the last podcast or a couple podcasts ago about how he's been lately. Hitting 354 of the last 25 games with nine home runs. Slugging 688 as well. Uh, he's been tr tremendous uh, considering this is uh, this was a big year for him going into this year uh, uh, since you know his tenure with the Braves this far hasn't quite lived up to its uh, expectations. But uh, and yeah, with the with the Mets, I'm really concerned about the health. Degrom's not expected to come back until September, uh, and their offense too. You know, with Javi Baez being out and Lindor being out, uh, a little concerned about them. Uh, um, uh, you know, and their health moving forward. Plus, they've got a, a lot of tough competition with the Dodgers and the Giants in two series each with those teams coming up. They got the Yanks and Brewers later on. Boston. Uh, they got Atlanta as well. So uh, and that bullpen being a liability with Diaz and Yuris Familia. Um, so, and Tyron Walker really struggling as of late, like you were alluding to earlier, Splash. I mean, tw 10 home runs in his last five starts. Absolutely been crushed on his four-seamer, split-finger um, fastball and his, his sinker as of lately. Uh, so, really, really uh, uh, just a, a some costly results for the Mets right now, who may be looking uh, uh, in the rear of uh, may, may be looking uh, uh, from, uh, from outside of the car, not even having a seat within the car. Uh, uh, to, to drive this uh, this NL East within their control. So really, really concerning about them moving forward. I, I, I got a lot of uh, question marks about them, and I feel comfortable about the Braves with the, with the acquisitions they made with Jorge Soler, too, um, hitting 315, 314 in his time with the Braves. I think that really made the difference 
uh, and, and will prove to be the difference uh, uh, for, the, for the remainder of the season. Now let's close it out with the AL East. Probably the craziest race right now considering the number of contenders out of that division. you got the Rays, you got the Red Sox, you got the Yankees, you got the Blue Jays. Rays currently lead by five games over the Red Sox. Then the Yankees are two games behind the Red Sox. And then the Blue Jays just half a game behind the Yankees. How are we feeling about this division so far uh, uh, in terms of who comes out of it? Uh, obviously the Rays are currently in the driver's seat. But will that last for long? I would lean Tampa moving forward. There is a five-game lead, and yeah, five-game leads can evaporate. We have horror stories of the 2011 Red Sox, the 2011 Braves, the 2007 Mets, etc. But this is a really talented Brave or Braves. Sorry, this is a really talented Rays team from top to bottom. You look at the, the hitting court. You have Brandon Lau, who has been raking of late. You have um, uh, Nelson Cruz is th thrown in there now. Uh, Randy Arozarena, I believe, just came back from injury. Um, Kevin Kiermaier, Manuel Margot have been y your usual suspects of elite uh, defense. Yandy Diaz has had a strong season. Joey Wendell's had a strong season. Mike Zunino is the slugging god amongst catchers. And then you look at the rotation, and it's not spectacular, you know, with no glass now. And Yarborough's hurt. Rich Hill is now a Met. Shane McClanahan's had a strong season. And if there's any team that you can just manufacture nine innings, it's the it's the Rays. the The pitching staff is not the best, and the um, certainly the bullpen was hurt with the trade by trading Diego Castillo, but Andrew Kitteridge is there. Uh, Luis Patino's had his moment in the sun. He's been all right at best. Um, highly regarded prospect. So overall, I, I want to lean Tampa just continuing to strangle the division with their consistent hitting their clutch hitting as much of as as much as i am an anal analytics guy that wants to look at ops or wrc plus or whatever the rays have like that certain it factor and i forgot to mention austin meadows who's having an awesome season they have that certain it factor that they're just going to get the hit in the clutch you know if it's bottom of the ninth tie game runner on second that runs scoring you know down 3-2, bottom of the ninth, two outs, guy on first. Nelson Cruz is hitting that two-run home run, and the Rays are winning. Um, it's sort of inexplicable how the Rays are just going to continue to win games. There's a reason they're 25 games over 500 and the second-best team in baseball. What about you, Splash? I think you meant me on this one, but I think overall. Oh, I'm sorry, Alex. God, yeah, yeah, I'm Splash already. No, you, no, you good, man. I think overall, when I look at this, when I look at this division, this is the most interesting one to look at, and it's purely because you have not one, not two, not three, but four teams that are all right now competing for this division title. Where yes, the Rays have a decent lead on the division itself right now at five game lead but like we said we've seen five game leads evaporate a lot we take a look at the astros already this year where they had a seven game lead on anybody and then that just fell off um so right now i think that this division really still could be anybody's i think if any team is going to overtake the rays it's going to be the red sox but right now i would not i would not uh say that i i would not put it past the rays 
to just keep this trend going and we'll take this way all the way to the uh, postseason as the number one team for the AL East. What I do think is also very theoretically possible. I know I said earlier about the AL West basically guaranteeing at least one spot, one wild card spot, which I still do hold true to that. But I also think it's possible on this that with how close everything is in the AL East and how strong everything is in the AL East, that we could have three teams from there in the playoffs as they could take two wild cards. I mean, here's the thing. When was the last time we've seen that this far into the season, midway now through August, where four teams in one division, every single one of those four teams are 10 games above 500 or higher? It's crazy. Like, that's, that's, that's crazy, yeah. The Rays right now, what, are 25 games above 500? The Rays right now are... Uh, excuse me there. The uh, excuse me, the Red Sox are 15 games above 500. The Yankees are 11 games above. I mean, you just look at this, and it's just impressive. Like, it's really, really impressive mm -hmm. seeing what this entire division is able to do. I think overall, I had to make a pick right now. The Rays just, uh, like kind of like what Splash said, kind of kind of defy some of the sabermetrics and just find ways to keep on winning. And So I'm going to say that the Rays are going to win this division, but then I'm going to say that there's still only going to be one team from the East that makes it into the that makes it into the playoffs, and that team is going to be the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, you know, it, it should be... Gosh, I, I don't know what to make of this division right now. There's so many... I, I, the one thing I will say, I do know, and I'm not taking a shot at them, I swear I'm not, because I, I will def I will defend them in this regard, you know, and because y'all know how much I hate the Yankees as a Red Sox fan. I can't stand them. In fact, I was just howling laughing yesterday. I mean, I was like I was like the end of that Thriller song, uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller song, where you hear that cackling guy just laughing maniacally. That was me last night seeing the Yankees lose, to be honest. Uh, it, it was just such a, a, a relief to see that. To be Same, by the way, though. Just same. Yeah, to be real. I don't think anyone who's not a Yankees fan likes the Yankees, okay? Let's just be real about it. Uh, but There's I no in-between. You either love the Yankees or you want the Yankees to fall into the pit of misery. With that being said, though, I will say this. I want to tip my hat to their resilience considering how many injuries they have dealt with this year because, let me tell you, they have been absolutely plagued, riddled, you know, uh, uh, bombarded, whatever verb you want to use with injuries, okay? It, it has just not been easy whatsoever. Luis Severino, Corey Kluber, uh, you know, so many guys that, that, that they, they've been out with. We saw John Carlos Stan, who hasn't been healthy. Uh, you know, Glaber uh, uh, Torres right now. Rizzo's on uh, COVID protocol. Giovanni Urshela uh, uh, is probably out as well with a setback due to a, a hamstring injury. Um, you know, Chapman, Raldis Chapman on the 10-day IL, Miguel Andujar, you know, the, just the list goes on of guys who have, Garrett Cole, too, uh, um, even though he's coming back soon, Jordan Montgomery, too, but I just, I'm very, I think it's just insurmountable at this point, considering the injuries, but they've been so resilient, I'm shocked to see that they're 11 games above 500, but they do have a tough stretch of play to come up, uh, that's coming up to White Sox, Boston, Atlanta, uh, Oakland, Toronto. I mean, just the list goes on. It's just it's not going to be easy for this team. I know they made some interesting decisions at the trade deadline, getting Anthony Rizzo, getting Joey Gallo. But 
I just don't know if it'll be enough considering all the injuries and, and, and just considering, with all due respect to Anthony Rizzo and, and Joey Gallo, maybe those guys just aren't, they're, they're good players, but maybe they're just not good enough to get them over this particular hump right now. Um, I, I just, I don't feel confident in them r r right now, really. Uh, uh, and I think last night was a turning point, to be honest. I think that was a huge gut punch that we could really end up s uh, seeing as a turning point when it's all said and done for the Yankees moving forward. Um, I really fear the the the, the Rays. I like them. They, they've, you know, they're they're. God, my goodness, I don't know how to say the Rays. Uh, uh, I don't know how to uh, really evaluate this Rays team because they really don't have a ton of exceptional talent that's active. I mean, their best player, like in terms of talent, in terms of natural athleticism, probably is is. Uh, um, is Wander Franco, who's still early on in his career, and then it's also what Tyler Glass now maybe, uh, considering what he could do from hit from a pitching standpoint. Glass now's out. Franco is has been decent at times, but he hasn't he hasn't exactly executed that level of potential to an elite level right now. Um, uh, you know, and so I, I I'm a I'm a you know. The Rays are just, they're a fascinating team because they contribute in so many different aspects. They're so resilient. They're so versatile. Everyone does their part on that team. It's unbelievable to see them play because no one seems to be uh, uh, falling short of the expectations to at least serve some sort of role. And it, it's just been outstanding to see them th over the last few, uh, uh, over this entire season, the entire course of this season. They could easily be an AL contender. I still think that the Red Sox are, are, are going to be a little more dangerous when it's all said when they get Chris Sale back and when they get Kosh Ward back because please, please keep yourselves afloat until those guys get back. And then I feel comfortable about this team because the Red Sox, you know, it, it's been rough as of lately. It's been really rough as of lately. 4-11 and 11 over their last 15 games. Nine of them have yielded three or fewer runs offensively. Uh, so they've they've really really got a, a, a lot to to a lot of issues to rectify. They do cool down with the, the Baltimore Orioles for a three game series next, uh, but they got the Yankees a little bit after that. Uh, some more uh, or two Yankees series later after uh, that Orioles series. They got a couple Rays series as well. Um, something's off with this team right now. I mean, you know, they did score 20 runs the other night against the Rays, but then they allowed eight. They had a couple costly games coming out of the bullpen, you know, uh, uh, you know, like with Matt Barnes coughing up four runs to the Rays on the top of the ninth on August 10th. Uh, and back-to-back -back games against the Blue Jays coughing up late. And, and, and again, losing last night 8-1 to one in a blowout against the Rays where neither the pitching nor the offense was getting going. Uh, and Xander Bogart's really struggling over the last few games where we haven't seen him execute his potential at a higher level uh, where he's hit only 260 over the last 29 games compared to where he, you know, him hitting over 300 for, over the course of the season. Um, so I'm very concerned with them. Um, and J.D. Martinez, too. You know, he's their slugger. He's their premier slugger outside of Rafael Devers. You know, he's just hitting 233 over the last 18 with just one home run. Uh, really struggled uh, with with the heaters as of lately, so it, it's it, I, I'm very concerned uh, uh, that if they don't get it going, come this next series against the Orioles, Red Sox could be in trouble. But I'm I'm inclined to believe that they will, and we won't see repeated results from 2011 where they went seven and 19 to close out the season, and they had one of the worst collapses from being the top division leader in the AL East to not even being in the playoffs when it was all said and done. Uh, like I said, with this Rays team, uh, they've just been outstanding. Brandon Lau, 10 home runs and 27 RBIs over the last 29 games. You were talking about Meadows earlier, uh, uh, Splash, five home runs over the last 13 games. Third best home run rate in particular over the last 15 games out of all teams. So uh, uh, it, it should be interesting. But I, I will say this, though. They do have a tough stretch to close out the season as well. Astros, Yanks, a couple Boston series, a couple Blue Jays series. Couple, uh, they have also have a White Sox series. 
but uh, uh, so I am a little concerned with the with the with the uh, uh, the Rays in that aspect. Uh, but the Blue Jays, man, the, that's the team I think maybe the most dangerous. I think they're going to go. They're going to get even better as time progresses. They're going to slowly but surely creep up in the division. I know they're fourth right now, but. Man, they're they're gonna get going, and and a big part is I think honestly uh, I know Jose Barrios had a, a rough outing last night, but his first two starts he was pretty solid um, with the Blue Jays, um, you know, and, and and Robbie Ray, that dude is back, man. I used to be so high on him when he was with the Diamondbacks. Over the last seven starts, got a 1.85 ERA and just a 179 batting average allowed. Sub 290 ERA throughout the entire course of this season. His slider, one of the best in baseball. I think that's going to be a key aspect as to how the Blue Jays fare from here on out. Hyunjin Ryu, I, Ryu, I think he's going to be uh, clicking when it's all said and done. And obviously, they've got so much youth, so much versatility. I mean, uh, Simeon, the way he's been having, as, uh, you know, uh, uh, from a production standpoint, uh, offensively and defensively this year. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I know his average has dipped a little bit as of lately, but he's still hitting the long ball. He's still going to be a dangerous threat, I think, from, from here on out. Um, it, it, it's, it, I don't know what, what's going to happen, but uh, if anyone I'm concerned most about, uh, I'd probably say the Blue Jays. I know the Rays have been very versatile, but... I just I wonder about their pitching staff, considering their their departures and considering their injuries that they've 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 dealt with. Um, and, and this Blue Jays team, you know, with their their trade deadline activity, I just think it really makes up for uh, uh, their previous concerns that they had prior to it, to where they could be a contender from here on out. Um, uh, did you guys have anything else you wanted to add? Hello. No, I think we're pretty good overall. I think that overall this last month and a half of the baseball season is going to be strong here. And I think that there's going to be a lot of fun storylines for us to follow up with, especially as we keep going here and keep progressing through, especially with the East and the West divisions. Central divisions, there's a reason why we didn't talk about them. They are basically already locked up. Let's just be honest here. Yeah, it, it, it. I don't know. I mean, did you got? Uh, I know the yeah, the AL Central right now with the uh, um, the White Sox currently at the helm, and and then obviously the NL Central with the Brewers. I feel pretty confident that it's going to be a a, a cons- you know a consistent uh, situation for the remainder of the season. It, it will be interesting to see how the Reds fare for a wild card spot. I know they've really gotten going offensively. Votto's been very solid as of lately too. I know he had a couple home runs the other night. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really that that would be the only really interesting point, but I think that's just for a wild card spot, if you ask me. Um, but that'll pretty much do it for us uh, here on Cheap Seat Chat. We hope you guys enjoyed listening into this division contending special. I'm David Gillespie, your host. Also, we had Ryan Splash Potts in on the podcast and Alex Clark. Um, hope you guys enjoyed listening in, and we'll catch you next time next week right here on Cheap Seats Chatter.